Revelation chapter 1, and I want to make one comment about verse 9 and then go on into verse 10 of this first chapter of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1. And I want to just share this in verse 9 with regard to the, to the exile that John was put in on the Isle of Patmos. Now that passage, verse 9, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. This verse of scripture just fits so clearly and so closely with the verse of scripture that we've been looking at over in the book of Romans. So would you turn there with me, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we see uh, that the Holy Spirit shared this message with Paul, and as we go through here, we have been encouraged as Paul was encouraged, no doubt, with these words, uh, the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse uh, 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may all be also glorified together. Now, John doesn't have to suffer on the Isle of Patmos to fulfill that verse of Scripture. You don't have to suffer indignation from anyone to fulfill that verse of Scripture. That verse of Scripture and John are fulfilled with this verse of Scripture, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Now that's what that verse of Scripture means, the most important part. Now, True, there are times that God's people will suffer, and we don't have to look around very far in our world to find out that God's people do suffer. But the main thing that we want to share with this is John didn't have to suffer the Isle of Patmos to fulfill that verse of Scripture. He was found in Christ, and that's where he truly suffered. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So that's our true suffering is in Christ. We could suffer till uh, the world's end and not have that and will not have heaven. We could go through all kinds of indignation and hatred could be against us and not have that suffering, and face judgment before God. So I want to be found there. Now, if he is pleased to send me suffering in this present world, that's his business. But I want to be found in him on the cross. I want to be found in him in his burial. I want to be found in him when he came out of that tomb, and I want to be found in him as he sits at the right hand of the Father. That's the suffering I want to be is in him. Everything he endured while he was on this earth, he did it as our substitute. And that's where I want to be found. Now, as I said, if he be pleased to send us some suffering because of the faith, that's his business. And it may happen, and it may have already happened, but this is the most valuable suffering that we'll ever have, and that is to be in Christ when he endured all on our behalf. And that's the most important. Now, going back over to the book of Revelation, chapter 1, I'd like to spend some time here on verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice, 
as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet likened to fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice was the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Now, if you noticed with me through that passage of reading, there is a lot of investigation we get to do about our Savior, the Lord Jesus, in those few short verses of Scripture. But as we look at verse 10 here, we find that the Apostle Paul has been abandoned, has been exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And while he is there, now, I can't help but think, as I go over this, I can't help but think that when he was originally exiled, he had a little bit of difficulty with that. And in this verse of Scripture, we find that I was, and that could have been translated a little better, I became. I became. Now, by nature we was, but by the Spirit of God we become. By nature, I, I can't help but think that there was just a little bit of difficulty in him facing the prospects that lie ahead. Now, as he is there, and as he became in the Spirit on the Lord's day, it's a sign to us that the Lord was gracious to him, and he was caused to understand why he was there. Now, that's a blessing. If we're ever caused to understand why something is as it is. Now, the Lord can just leave us saying, I am sovereign, I am God, all things work together for the good of them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. But John was able to see a little bit of why he was there, and that was to receive this letter, this book, that would be given for the comfort and rejoicing of the church from the time it was given until this very hour. So he got to see a little bit of why the Lord blessed him being there. Now turn with me, if you would, over to the book of Matthew, chapter 28. Now we've read this passage of Scripture in the past, but I want to, again, this is uh, one of those passages that shares with us where true comfort is found, and John is understanding where his true comfort is. It is, God doeth all things well. It is, as he thought, so shall it come to pass. Now, we have no idea in this world why Kim had this aneurysm. But he does. We don't know why we're sick. We don't know why we have backaches. We don't know why. But he does. 
We don't know why things happen, but he does. Now notice here in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, uh, a great verse of scripture here is in verse 18, but let's back up just a little bit. Verse 18 says, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Well, what made, what caused him, what, what produced, what was, the, what was the, the, the thing that produced those words out of his mouth? The, verse, the two verses prior to that. Now notice with me, then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mount where Jesus had appointed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, things have just been turned upside down for them. Read the account of the two on the road to Emmaus. We supposed, we thought, and they were right in their thoughts. But they're, they've been caught off guard. They're, they doubted. My goodness, that's a natural human issue. What was it that brought them out of this cave of doubt? What was it that brought them out of this position that they had? What was it that gave them comfort? What was it that's going to comfort John in his position? What is it that comforts God's people, whether we're persecuted or not? What is it that truly comforts God's people every day? He shares that in verse 18. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying... I'm king. Isn't that enough? All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. What he's saying there is I'm sovereign. I'm king. I, I thought it and it came to pass. So whatever issue we have, these words that the Lord spoke to us through Matthew, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Well, the believer says, I don't want anybody to have any other power. All power is in his hands. He is king of kings and lord of lords. That is the greatest comfort that God could ever share with the church is to cause us to understand and to know that he has all power and all authority and whatsoever comes to pass, he's in charge of it. So as John is exiled to Patmos, it is a blessing to know and for us to know and for him to know. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Uh, I'm not waiting for any power. I'm not going to get any more power. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. The glory that he had with the Father before the world was, was the power that he had in creation, the power that he had over all the worlds, the power that he had over all demons, the power that he had over all ills and sicknesses, and the power that he had over death. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then he goes on with the Great Commission. But can you just see them? Oh, my. That's the most comforting words I've heard since I heard an empty tomb. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. That God is in control. The Lord Jesus is doing exactly as he planned. And he wasn't taken off course by any Roman soldier or by any religious leader. It was exactly as planned. And so it is with John on the Isle of Patmos. I was, I became. It's a natural, th it's not a natural thing to become in the spirit. <laughs> the spirit is like the wind. The wind bloweth where it listeth. And now here the sound thereof and can, uh, can tell where it came from and where it's, cannot tell where it's going. Where it came from or where it's going, so is everyone that's born of the spirit. So this blessing of God's spirit upon us and giving us that birth and then 
causing us to become in the Spirit, moving us to that direction. Turn with me, if you would, back to the psalm, Psalm 119. I want to read three verses out of the 119th Psalm that share with us this comfort that we have in the Lord Jesus and this comfort that we have in His Word and comfort knowing that He does all things well and, and He's in charge and He's King and all power and all authority is given unto Him and John could be at rest even though he may, and I, I'm just surmising, it doesn't tell us, but I believe he was a human being, and I believe he had issues and problems with what was happening, but when he finally, the Lord finally comforted him, he could, he could be back in fellowship, back in the Spirit. Lord, thank you for sharing that with me. Let me know one more time that this is all falling out for your glory. It's all falling out on your purpose. Now here in the Psalms, Psalm 119, verse 50. You turn with me to Psalm 119 and verse 50. We read these words. This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. God's word to us gave us life. This is my comfort. This is my comfort. We're comforted with the comfort wherewith he hath comforted with. I've comforted you. And then in that same psalm, turn with me to verse 89, Psalm 119, verse 89, the Lord says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Isn't that comforting? Your word's settled. You have a purpose laid out. It's not going to be altered and moved by time or by events, or people, or even by me, or by John. It will not be altered. Forever is thy word settled in heaven, in this world. It's settled. As it tells us there in Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And then if you turn to verse 114 of that same chapter, Thou art my hiding place and my shield. Now we sing a song, a couple of songs that have that point of view. Hiding place. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. So as John is caused to understand a little bit of why he is on the Isle of Patmos, the Spirit overflows him, floods him, comforts him. He is not here by mistake, but he is here by divine appointment. And when it's all said and done, I can't help but think, Oh, Lord, I've seen heaven's glory. I've seen things that Paul couldn't write about. Paul was caught up to the third heaven. And came back. He says, I don't know whether it's in the spirit or the outer spirit, whether that's dead or alive. But I saw things I couldn't, it was unlawful for me to write about. And John gets to write about it in heaven's glory. Now, in that, we find, he says, I, I became, I was, I became in the spirit. Oh, my goodness. As the spirit of God flooded. Now, the spirit provides so much for us. We're absolutely dependent upon the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God and not a man that leads us into all truth. No, man may show us, but it's the Spirit of God that convinces us. 
Now, I'm convinced that a man may show us the truth. And if we truly know the Lord, we'll not argue about it. We'll say, I'll go home and read it maybe, or I'll go home and study it. But the outcome is going to be, I agree with the Word of God. Now, if you're going to argue with the Word of God on any issue, you better take your argument with God, because that's who you're arguing with. But God's people are not going to argue with the Word of God. They may say, I need to study that a little more, or I've never heard that before, but they'll never say, I don't believe it. Never. It's God's Word, and our soul has been created. Our life has been created by the Lord. Now, it tells us there that John, I was or I became in the Spirit, going back to the book of Revelation, on the Lord's Day. Well, we know, we know why the term Lord's Day is mentioned in Scripture. It was the first day of the week. It was the day the Lord came out of the tomb. And yet we never find anywhere in Scripture that there is a command like there was under the Jewish economy. The Ten Commandments, one of them says about the Sabbath day. And there's a penalty of death if you don't keep it. Now, far be it from the Spirit to ever lead anybody to say, this is a command. Because in the economy of Christianity, those words, the law of God, is placed on our heart. We're drawn to it. We're not forced to it. Now, it's not a law like they faced in the Old Testament. It is a delight of the church to worship God, and it's a delight of the church to, to remember the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But is it a command? If it were necessary, we could meet on Monday. Now, I know it would be against tradition, but that's the only thing it would be against. We meet on the first day of the week as a remembrance of the resurrection. But if everybody had jobs on Sunday, we could meet on Monday and do the same thing. Now, I'm not advocating anybody getting a job on Sunday. But, you know, we just don't know how providence will work. But if it worked that way... We could do the same thing on Monday and still worship the Lord. Every day is the Lord's day. We just get to get together on the first day of the week and commemorate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Mark, chapter 16. Mark, chapter 16. And we read here that uh, the reason that the early Christians began to worship on the first day of the week is, whoa, do you remember what happened on that first day of the week? Do you remember what happened on that special first day of the week? We thought we'd lost our king. We thought we'd lost the Lord. We thought everything was going to crumble up and fade away. We trusted, we believed that this was the Messiah, and they crucified him and put him in a tomb. And we got namali grubs over that. When you see your king slain, but when it was shared with them that this is the sovereign king becoming a 
full and complete substitute for all his people, those people rejoiced in the Lord Jesus Christ's crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. When they saw the picture put together, and they would say, you know, we've been doing it on Saturday for all this time, but we're not under the law for righteousness sake. Let's just go down there and have a good time celebrating the resurrection of our Savior. There was no compelling, no law has ever been written. And I find it difficult to say it's the Lord's Day Sabbath. I don't want the Sabbath. I want to worship the resurrected Christ. Now, under the old economy, there were... God had those people celebrate the creation. He rested on the seventh day. But when we get to the book of Hebrews, it shares with us about that day of rest, that rest. There's a rest to the people of God in Christ. He is our rest. We're not celebrating the resurrection of the, this world. We're celebrating him coming out of the tomb and being able to say, I have a new creation in Christ Jesus. I've been created clean in him. So as we read here in the book of Mark, chapter 16, and verse 9, the word of the Lord says, uh, Mark 16, and verse 9, not Matthew. Mark 16, verse 9. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. So we get this information. He'd already shared that he must be buried, that he would raise again the third day. And this third day is very early, the first day of the week. Now, keeping this in mind, let's turn to the book of John, chapter 20. John, chapter 20. And the disciples begin to meet on this day. And the apostle Paul shares when you come together on the first day of the week. But notice over here, Book of John, chapter 20, and verse 19. As we think about this, every day is the Lord's day. We, we meet out of celebration. We don't meet out of compulsion, but celebration. Would you rather do that? No. I hear this from Nancy, and I put up with it for those 19 years, dealing with kids who don't want to go to school. They don't realize... <laughs> Well, this is a sidetrack. This is a rabbit trail. They don't realize how necessary it is, but they don't want to be in school. Now, have you ever felt that way about church? I don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. I have too. Now, on this side of belief, on this side of regeneration, on this side of Christ it is a delight and it's not out of compulsion it's out of delight and that's what God wants he wants us to meet out of delight out of celebration and not out of have to now I understand our children when they're growing up we may compel them to go with us but once they reach a certain age if they come, we say hallelujah, and if they don't, we understand, don't we? We love them to come. We want them to be here. We want them to hear the gospel. But if they don't come, we say, I'm going anyway. 
I'm celebrating. I'm celebrating the resurrection. And if they come, we just celebrate the more. We celebrate them being with us, and we just celebrate the resurrection. But there's nothing we can humanly do to make them come. And when we do, we're doing a drastic dishonor. All right. Now, notice here in, in John chapter 20 and verse 19. John chapter 20 and verse 19. says, And then the same day at evening, about being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, when the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. The same day at evening, being the first day of the week. Now, the Lord appeared unto his small body of believers, and we always point our finger at Thomas because he wasn't there. Now, I'm sorry, folks, but that was by divine appointment. That was by... Something came up, <laughs> and he wasn't there. The, the problem is there. Now... Let's notice in that same chapter, in verse 26, we find, and after eight days, again, on the first day of the week, his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them. Now, they're all celebrating, and Thomas had a whole bunch to celebrate. How did he answer the Lord? My Lord and my God. Now, that's celebrating. He's celebrating the resurrection. He's celebrating his Savior out of the tomb. And we can poke fun all we want to, but that's a good confession. My Lord and my God. That's what he said to the resurrected Savior when he saw him the first time. That's a good confession. Now the Lord did say, blessed are you because you saw, but blessed are those who never see and yet believe. But Thomas made a good confession when the Lord came to him. First day of the week. Eight days later, if you count them on your fingers, you'll find that out. And then over in the book of Acts chapter 20, we read these words about the celebration that was going on. They were celebrating. Now, the Jews were meeting on the Sabbath, and you notice if we follow the Apostle Paul through his ministry and mission journeys, there were times he found out it wasn't worthwhile to meet on the first day of the week because the Jews were in the synagogue on the Sabbath. That's when he went and preached. But when churches were started... When people were saved and assemblies were put together, they started celebrating the first day of the week because they too rejoiced in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was not going back to the Sabbath. It was celebrating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is all my hope and this is all my salvation. Jesus Christ could have come down to this earth and did exactly what he did in his personal ministry. He could have been crucified and could have been buried, but if he'd have never come out of that tomb on the first day of the week, all that work would have been wasted. It took his resurrection. And when those disciples understood what it was when he came out of the tomb, his father was satisfied with a sacrifice and he would be welcomed in glory. They too celebrated his resurrection and his ascension back to the father. They too understood that they were buried with him and they came out of the tomb with him and then in his ascension, they sat down with him in glory. And this is something to celebrate. 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and at the same time, my resurrection, our resurrection in the Lord Jesus Christ. We celebrate his resurrection. Acts chapter, Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, we read these words. It says there, uh, Acts 20 verse 7, Upon the first day of the week when the disciples were come together to break bread, Paul preached to them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until late in the afternoon. <laughs> Midnight. <laughs> Long time. <laughs> he had something to say and he said it. Now he wasn't going to be there very much longer. Now, we're not going to do that to you tonight. We're not going to stay to midnight. <laughs> but notice when they met. They met on the first day of the week in celebration. And that's why we do. But you know what? If it were necessary, Tuesday we could still celebrate. Wednesday we could still celebrate. Whatever day we choose to meet on, we could celebrate. All we would have to do is break our old tradition. And that would be difficult, but we could worship the Lord Jesus Christ the same. And he would not be offended. He wants us to worship every day of the week. But we get together and fellowship twice, three times a week, and I haven't found many people say, I don't like it. I like celebrating. I like celebrating the resurrection. I like celebrating the victorious Lord. I like celebrating all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. I like celebrating that. I like knowing it and then celebrating it. Now the Apostle John says, I was or I became in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And he's celebrating uh, no law but spiritual enticement caused him to worship the Lord on the Lord's day. Now, there's only one other place in the New Testament where that word Lord's is used, apostrophe S, and it happens to be connected with supper in the book of 1 Corinthians, Lord's Supper. The only other place it's used. It's a, it's a possessive word. It's the Lord's day, and it's the Lord's Supper. Now, I might say this. We don't inspect people. It's the Lord's Supper. Okay. It's the Lord's Supper. He invites his people to the Lord's Supper. We don't inspect people. Now, going back to the book of Revelation, chapter 1, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And notice this. I heard. I heard. Now we're going to look at what he heard and what he saw. But I heard seven times in this book it says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said to the churches. He that hath an ear. Now there's two places in Scripture that are interesting to me. There was a voice spoken, but the people confessed. Uh, well, let's just go over there. John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Now, this is just so common. This is so common. John chapter 12, we read here what, what is so common. It is very special when people hear. It is so common when people don't. It is uncommon when people hear. 
It is common when people don't. Do you guess what I'm saying? The natural man does not hear the things of God. Now, they may hear the same thing we hear, but this is what happened in John chapter 12, verse 27. Notice with me here, it is so uncommon that someone heard something and so common that people didn't hear anything. And it's such an example here found in John chapter 12 and verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, for, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Now notice verse 28 there. Then came there a voice from heaven, saying, I have glor both glorified it and will glorify it again. Now notice verse 29. And the people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. It is so uncommon to hear a voice from heaven. It is so special. It is so special that the voice from heaven could be heard. It is so common to hear thunder. Indistinguishable, indistinguished words. Some said there an angel spake to him. But the majority thought it thundered that day. And we're able to hear in on the message. God the Father spoke to his son in clear words that could be understood by a hearing ear. And John over there, he says, I heard it is uncommon to hear the Lord God Almighty. It is so common not to hear him. It is so common to hear the same message and go away saying, I don't know anything about that. It is so uncommon to say, I heard God. I heard the Spirit. I heard the Word. It takes a hearing ear, created hearing ear, to hear the Word of the Lord. It must be God working in us to hear the word of the Lord. Now, another place, turn with me, if you would, over to the book of Acts, chapter 22. The apostle Paul is sharing about what happened to him on the road to Damascus. And in so doing, he shares with us here what other people heard that same day as he was on the road to Damascus. Now, God is very pointed when it comes to his great salvation he is not broadcasting. He is not flock shooting. He's picking out one by one by one by one. And here again in the book of Acts, we find that as the apostle Paul was sharing, I heard something on the road to Damascus. God spoke to me. I knew who it was. Lord, what will you have me to do? Who are you, Lord? He asked those questions and it was given to his heart. The answers were given to his heart. Life-changing Life-giving words were given to him. But notice as he reflects on that to those his friends that are with him. These are all his buds. They're all Pharisees. They've come out of the same egg that he's come out of. They're made of the same pulp he's made of. And they're going with the same intent that he's going with. 
They're not along for any other reason but to please Paul, Saul. Now notice what he says here in Acts chapter 22, verse 6. It, and it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me, and I fell into the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. How serious. Paul, Saul heard it. It struck him right here. He heard the voice from heaven, but he confesses that those, his friends that were with him, didn't hear a thing. God didn't quicken him. God didn't move in him. God didn't give him an ear. So one time, oh, they went home and says, you know, there was not a cloud in the sky and I heard it thunder. Didn't rain a bit, but I heard it thunder. And over here, I don't know, I saw a bright light with that guy we was walking along with, old Saul, and he keeps talking about it, but there was nothing. Nothing went on. Didn't hear a thing. He keeps saying, talking about he heard something, but he's daft. There was no sound. Well, praise the Lord. John said, I was in the Isle of Patmos, and I became in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And what's it say? And heard. I heard. The whole book's given to him. Just look at that. The whole book of Revelation is given to him. He heard something. God spoke to him in a powerful way. And he's still speaking. And he's still creating hearts. He's still creating ears to hear. Hearing the word of God. What great pleasure it is for God's people. But it is so understood when people walk away and say, I didn't hear a thing. We can just simply say, I understand. I know what you're talking about. I've been there. But thanks be unto God, now I can hear something. Oh, to, if we were born, and we are, if we're born deaf, and through some miracle of surgery, we're given the ability to hear, now that's going to be a miracle. We're born deaf to spiritual things. And by the grace of God, when he creates in us life, we're able to hear a still, small voice. We're able to hear the Lord. We're able to hear. And that's what John gets to do. I heard behind me a great voice. It's interesting to me that that voice appeared behind him. It wasn't out in front of him. There are several things that I, I've thought about about this verse. Most of the time, what we expect doesn't happen in front of us. <laughs> The prophet said, turn me and I shall be turned. And I think that the Holy Spirit is just sharing with us in this passage of Scripture that going along in life, even on the Isle of Patmos and being in the Spirit, we still need to be turned to see the Lord of glory. Every day, the world is here and the Lord is there. And he turns us every day to face him and to love him. It shares with us twice in the Old Testament about this turning. 
in Jeremiah and in Lamentations to be turned. God turns us. Thank God he turns us. He said, I heard a voice behind me, a great voice behind me. Now, great events deserve great announcements, and that's what we're going to have here. I'm, it was so interesting when I was looking this up that this word great voice is the same words we find twice from the cross when Jesus said with a loud voice, exactly the same words. He announced great announcements with a great voice. He said with a loud voice, I commend my spirit. And with a loud voice, he said, it's finished. With a loud voice. And then one of the capstones, great announcements. A, a, a great events deserve great announcements. And one day he's standing in front of a tomb. And he said, with a loud voice, with a great voice, Lazarus come forth. Great event deserved great announcements. And that's what we find here. A great event's taking place. And a great announcement. Great loud voice. As a trumpet. A voice of a trumpet. Now, one of the translations said that's a, a war trumpet. War trumpet. Now, we're going to look in. Our time is up. But we'll look at this again. There's a passage of scripture that says, If the trumpet give an uncertain sound, how will people know what to do? Now, we don't know what it is to be our lives to be run by a trumpet. People in the military have a little more idea, but years ago, and not that many years ago in the United States, the cavalry, the whole cavalry was run on a trumpet. Charge, retreat, how fast the horse was to go, everything was dependent upon the trumpeteer. And we are too. With the tr voice of the archangel and trump of God. Now we'll we'll spend some time here, but we want to. I would just I want to spend a little more time on that great voice. He stood in front of a tomb and with a great loud voice made an announcement. The Lord God Almighty spoke. Lazarus, come forth. All right, our time is up.